0: where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Kim Scott today. She is the author of three novels as well as the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. Previously, Kim was the co-founder and CEO of Juice Software, a collaboration startup. She led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick online sales and operations at Google before she joined Apple to develop and teach a leadership seminar. She also has been a CEO coach at Dropbox, Qualtrics, Twitter, and several other tech companies. Earlier in her career, she worked as a senior policy advisor at the FCC, managed a pediatric clinic in Kosovo, started a diamond cutting factory in Moscow, and was an analyst on the Soviet Companies Fund. She received her MBA from Harvard and her BA from Princeton University. Welcome Kim to the podcast. Thank you
1: so much. It's great to be here.
0: What a colorful bio. <laughs> Love it. But before <laughs> I get into that cool because stuff. I'll because I'll ruin it, but before <laughs> I get into that we're going to jump into bullish and bearish and then I'm going to then I'm going to dig into that that, you know, journey you've been on a little bit. So, uh, as you know, I start off my uh, my podcast with something I call bullish and bearish. Bullish is you're really for something. Bearish is you are against it, and you know nothing, hopefully, too painful. But it's just a way to get the juices flowing. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one, bullish or bearish. Managers
1: will have to provide feedback to robots. <laughs> I'm bullish. <laughs> my kids do it every day to Siri. <laughs> Do, do they argue with her? I argue with Alexa all the time. But I'm actually, I feel ridiculous, but I'm trying to teach them to be polite <laughs> to Siri and to Google because, because when they curse at Google Home Mini, they're just learning bad habits. So some of this stuff is just about habits. Well, good point. So I guess I'm a lost cause because I, <laughs> I yell at
0: Alexa all the time. All right. <laughs> all right. Next uh, the next one is probably near and dear to your heart. The next one is you can care and challenge people at the same time. Of course. Very bullish. Couldn't be more bullish on that. Yes. And I can't wait to dig into that. And then this third one is a little more fun. And for those of you who are paying attention to the bio, you will understand this question. All right. You ready for the last one? I'm ready. All right. Man-made diamonds are as beautiful as those made naturally. Absolutely. Experts cannot tell
1: the difference. Oh, no, I didn't expect <laughs> you to say that. It's true. It is true. That they, they they you can absolutely fool even someone who has 20, 30 years of experience.
0: Wow. Well, you know, uh, as, you know, my name is tiffany i was Mm -hmm. named after the movie not (laughs) not the jewelry store however and i'm spelt with an i not a y so you know forever in my life it's spelt wrong but you know if you're going to be spelt wrong (laughs) might as well spelt in the jewelry store (laughs) and my mom's best friends used to call me the the dad was the husband was like my sort of you know standing grandfather because my grandfather didn't live uh where i was and so Mm -hmm. he used to call me harry winston and uh-huh. so when i was a little kid he'd be like hey harry winston and i'd be like i don't know why he calls me harry winston <laughs> for those of you who don't know harry winston was the diamond cutter for tiffany yes. and now has its own store so that's my we are connected on the diamond level diamonds are forever they are and i i really i have to say that is not the answer i expected you to say <laughs> I, I was for I, sure i had a bearish in there but no 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 uh, you, you got three bulls there wow I don't know if that's ever happened. Well, I have to listen <laughs> back. All right. Well, you know, there's always a first, Kim. There's always a first. That's
1: right. I'm, a, I'm an optimist. So. There you go.
0: There you go. Well, so we met because you had uh, uh, joined uh, an offsite that we had done at Salesforce. And I just loved your presentation on Radical Candor. And so I connected with you. We've kept in touch, you know, and, and I said, who better to sort of, you know, start us off in 2019 with how to just be not only better bosses, but understand this sort of interpersonal relationship between caring about people and being able to give feedback. Maybe you can give a little bit of history on kind of how Radical Candor started.
1: You know, it's so funny. I I think the, the very first seed got planted right after I had started this software company And one day I came into the office and I got the same article emailed to me by about 10 or 15 different people. And it was about how people would rather have a boss who's a total asshole but really competent than one who's incompetent, but really nice. And I thought, are they sending me this because I'm a jerk or because (laughs) I'm incompetent? Which is worse, you know? Surely these are not my two choices. And uh, shortly after that happened, I was walking my puppy, golden retriever puppy, down the street and... I loved this dog. I I absolutely adored her. And because I loved her so much, I had never said a cross word to her and she was totally out of control. And she jumps in front of a taxi cab. I pull her back just in the nick of time. And I'm standing on the street corner with my heart in my throat. And this man, a perfect stranger, looks at me and he says, I can see you really love that dog. But you're going to kill that dog if you don't teach her to sit. And then he kind of <laughs> points at the ground in this harsh way. And he says, sit. And the dog sat. Oh. I was astounded. I had no idea she even knew what that meant. And I I looked at this guy and he said, it's not mean, it's clear. And then the light changed and he walked off, leaving me with words to manage by. So, So to me, that the essence of radical candor is about being able to care about someone and to show them that you care and also to challenge them at the same time both to do more of what's great and also to stop doing stop making mistakes and 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 to me that is that's what gave my business career meaning is developing those relationships with the people around me in a way in which I was they told me when I was screwing up and also what they liked about what I was doing, but also I told them and we all got better together.
0: And I could only imagine that this is also part of someone's career journey, right? I mean, I know when I used to get feedback from people early in my career, I took it very differently than I take it today and, yes. and vice versa. You know, the way I gave feedback was very emotionally driven and, you know, it, it was, you know, it was very me-oriented, you know. And then, as you hopefully, you know, you get better as yeah. you sort of mature <laughs> in your career. And I don't just mean age, right? Just mature, mature in your experiences, right? I mean, you can't fake yeah. that.
1: Uh, w- agree with that? Agree, totally agree. You, I mean, you you sort of learn from the school of hard knocks, and and there's for me there there are always little moments when. I've gotten, somebody has told me some something that maybe stung in the moment, and, and then it stood me in good stead for the next 10, 15 years. And when you think back on those moments, it makes it much easier to accept feedback when it comes your way, but also to give it uh, even to someone who you really care a lot about, especially to someone who you care a lot about. So for me, one of those moments came shortly after I joined Google, I had to give a presentation to the founders and the CEO about how the AdSense business was doing, and I walked into the room and there was Sergey Brin, one of the founders, on an elliptical trainer in toe shoes in one corner of the room, (laughs) and there in the other corner of the room was Eric Schmidt, who was CEO at the time, so deep in his email it's like his brain has been plugged into the machine, and I thought, how in the world am I supposed to get these people's attention? And like any Normal person in that situation, I felt a little bit nervous. But luckily for me, the AdSense business was on fire. And when I said how many new publishers we had added over the last couple of months, Eric almost fell off his chair. And he said, What did you say? This is incredible. What do you need? Do you need more marketing dollars? Do you need more engineering resources? And so I'm I'm thinking the meeting's going all right. In fact, I now believe I'm a genius. And as I walked out of the meeting, I passed by my boss, and I was expecting a high five or a pat on the back. And instead, uh, Cheryl, my boss then was Cheryl Sandberg, she said to me, why don't you walk back to my office with me? And I thought, okay, (laughs) I've screwed something up, and I'm sure I'm about to hear about it. And Cheryl started the conversation by telling me about the things that had gone well in the meeting, not in the feedback sandwich kind of way, the sort of kiss me, kick me, kick kick me, but really telling me about the things from her perspective that had gone well. And I was learning something. So she seemed to mean it, and also it was new information. But of course, all I wanted to hear about was what I had screwed up. And eventually she said to me, you said I'm a lot in there. Were you aware of it? And I sort of breathed a huge sigh of relief at this point, because if that was all I had done wrong, who really cared when I had a tiger by the tail? And I kind of made this brush off gesture with my hand. And I said, yeah, no, it's a verbal tick. No big deal, really. And then she said to me, I know this great speech coach, and I bet I could get budget so Google would pay for it. Would you like an introduction? And once again, I make this brush off gesture with my hand. And I said, no, I'm busy. Didn't you hear about all those new customers? I don't have time for a speech coach. And then she stopped and she looked me right in the eye and she said, I can see when you do that thing with your hand that I'm going to have to be a lot more direct with you. When you say um, every third word, it makes you sound stupid. Now she has my full attention <laughs> And, and, and some people might say it was mean of Cheryl to say I sounded stupid, but in fact, it was the kindest thing she could possibly have done for me at that moment in my career. Because if she hadn't used just those words, then I wouldn't have gone to see the speech coach and I wouldn't have learned by watching myself do a presentation on video, one of life's more painful uh, ways to get feedback, avoid it if you possibly can. I wouldn't have learned that Cheryl was not exaggerating. I literally said um, every third word. And this was news to me. I had started two software companies previously giving presentations. I had raised millions of dollars giving presentations. I thought I was pretty good at it. And it really made me think two things. One was, what was it about Cheryl that made it so seemingly easy for her to give me the feedback? And also, almost more interestingly, why had no one else given me that feedback. It was almost like I had been walking through my whole career with a giant hunk of spinach between my teeth and nobody had the common courtesy to tell me it was there. I could get it out if I knew about it, but I needed to know it was there. And I realized in, in the case of Cheryl, it really boiled down to two things. It was she cared personally. She cared at a very human level about the people who worked most closely with her she when when i first got to california i moved from new york to california to take the job i didn't really know anybody out here i was lonely she could tell i was lonely and she introduced me to a book book group that i'm still part of many many years later more than a decade later and when when i had a family member fall ill and she said get on a plane go back home, I'm gonna write your coverage plan, this is what teams do for one another, They uh, we've got your back. And so it's not the kind of thing one person can do for 5,000 people, but when you work directly with people, you really do form relationships that are more than just professional, they're, they're deeply human and so this got me to thinking like what is it so if there's two dimensions of radical candor care personally but also the other thing that jill did was she challenged directly she never let her concern for our short-term feelings get in the way of telling us stuff when we needed to know about it so what is it that knocks us down on one dimension or another what is it that prevents us from caring personally or challenging directly in the case of care personally I think the problem begins when we're 18, 19, 20 years old. We're right at that moment in our lives when our egos are very fragile and our personas are beginning to solidify. And right at that right at that moment, someone comes along and says, be professional. And I think for an awful lot of us, that gets translated to mean leave your emotions, leave your true identity. Leave your humanity, leave everything that's best and most real about you at home and come to work like some kind of robot. And you can't possibly care personally about others if you're showing up like some some kind of robot. And then on the challenge directly side, I think the problem actually begins much sooner. It begins when we're 18 months old and our parents say some version of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And now congratulations, you're a leader and it's your job to say it. And it's hard. It's hard to undo training that's been pounded into your head since you were 18 months old.
0: Yeah, I, I would say this. There were so many things in, in what, you just, what you just said. Uh, but I have found that when people hear this kind of conversation, you know, like there is a way to do it, they don't know how to mm-hmm. even approach potentially changing yes. those behaviors um I have definitely found uh, in my career that my first 90 days really shapes the way my you know working relationships around me how they blossom or not. <laughs> Like in that yeah. first 90 days. And I keep relearning the 90 day lesson. However, um, you know it's, 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 it's a process. And so, you know, how is this like, I'm part of a new team, you know, I'm listening to this and you go, gosh, I, I don't really give feedback. Like you just described Cheryl gave to you either that, or when I get feedback, I'm not actually taking it in. I get very defensive, right? Cause those are the two sides of that. I, I don't yeah. know how to do it. And then I get very defensive. So from the, I don't know how to do it, what would be, you know, the one or two small changes someone can make when they're, you know, after listening to this and then hopefully they go pick up your book, you know, that, that ultimately they say, uh, I'm not doing this correctly.
1: Yeah, and it is it is hard. Uh, I, I wrote the book and I struggle with it myself. So, so I feel the pain out there. I think that the most important thing you can do is to start by asking for radical candor. Don't don't dish it out till you prove you can take it. In fact, some of the radical candor I've gotten on radical candor, very meta, is that I talk too much about bosses giving employees criticism. And that's actually not the right place to start. The right place to start, no matter who you're having a relationship with, whether it's your boss or your peer, or your employee, or you can use this at home too, actually. Uh, The right place to start is by soliciting feedback. Make sure that you understand the other person's perspective. So if you want one super tactical tip, my suggestion is to, at the end of one-on-one meetings at work, save up a little bit of time to solicit feedback, to ask the person what their perspective on, your behavior, your performance is, and think very clearly about what your, the way you're going to ask. Because if you say, do you have any feedback for me? I can tell you you're right. wasting your breath because I already know right. what the answer is. Oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> Nobody, with the possible exception of your children, wants to give you feedback. So the the thing to do is to think about how you're going to ask it in a way that really shows you actually want to hear the answer. So one question that I like to use is, what could I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? But that may not be the way you want to ask it. I was working with Krista Quarles, who was until recently the CEO of OpenTable. And she said, the way I like to ask the question is, tell me why I'm smoking crack. <laughs> and that worked much better for her, for her and her staff, because it showed that she really wanted to know. And, and it made light of the situation. I mean, it doesn't always have to be so heavy. Uh, Andy Grove once told me that the uh, Andy Grove was the CEO of Intel uh, for, for many years. And he was well known for getting people to tell him the truth, and he said, "The way that I like to ask for feedback is I wait to the end of the one on one and then I say there's one more thing and He explained to me that this was code at Intel, and everybody understood that 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 meant this was the most important thing and I was working at Apple at the time, and that was how Steve Jobs always introduced the new iPhone or whatever there's one more thing and i made the mistake of saying to Andy, did you steal that from Steve Jobs? And he said, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was immediately offended. He said, no, we both got it from Columbo, the detective show. So there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of places where you can get your go-to question, but you've got to ask it in a way that seems that feels to you and to the other person authentic and like you really want to know the answer. But it's not enough to ask the question. So there's four steps to this. The next step is to embrace the discomfort. What I mean by that is you've just put someone in an uncomfortable situation. If you let them off the hook too fast, they're not going to tell you anything. So the best thing you can do next is just shut your mouth and count to six. So not three. We've moved to six. Okay. Right. I only made it to two just then. <laughs> Somebody will say something. Six seconds of silence is impossible I'm like, wait a second. To used to be three. Right? Now it's six. Dang. Six. You gotta. You gotta make it. And and it's not like one, two, three, four, five, six. It's one, one thousand, two, one thousand. Or I'm from Tennessee, so we would say one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Take a long time so to get you to gotta, six. <laughs> Yes, takes a long time, <laughs> a shockingly long time. So now you've dragged someone out on a conversational limb they never wanted to be on. You've got them to say something by remaining silent. It's The third step is simply not to get defensive. You've got to listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. And this is the hardest part of soliciting feedback, because it's normal and natural to feel defensive when someone criticizes you. You've just asked for it, but nevertheless, it's hard to hear it. So the thing that I recommend that you do is just repeat back what you think you you heard. So say, just to make sure I understood, I want to repeat back what I think I've heard. And then don't repeat it back in some super sarcastic voice implying this is the stupidest thing you ever heard, but just repeat it back respectfully. And see if, make sure you understood, check for understanding. And then you get to the fourth and final step of soliciting feedback, which is you want to reward the candor. Someone just told you something and, you, and they took a risk to tell you whatever it is they told you because giving feedback is risky. And so you've got to make sure that there's a payoff for them. if you you want them ever to do it again. And so if you agree with what they said, it's pretty simple, you fix the problem. It's not enough to say thank you for the feedback, you've actually got to take an action. You've got to make your listening tangible. If you disagree with the feedback, it's a little bit harder uh, because obviously I'm the radical candor lady, I'm not gonna tell you to pretend you agree when you disagree. But what what, what you need to do is you need to take a moment to identify something in what they said that you do agree with, even if it's only some marginal 5% thing, just to demonstrate that you're open and not defensive. And then say, you know, I need to think about the rest of it. Can I get back to you? And then you must get back. And when you do, offering... A fuller explanation, a respectful and fuller explanation of why you disagree, is a much better reward for the candor than just ignoring it, because people don't love disagreement, but they can handle disagreement. But the thing that is a real relationship killer is ignoring the other person; is just making the other person feel invisible. So, so don't do that. Well, you know what's
0: interesting is, in, in, I'm just trying to rack my brain as I'm listening to you talk through those four is where I found myself in either or any of them on both sides, you know, as a manager trying to do it as a receiver trying to do it. Uh, and Mm -hmm. you know, I had an an interesting experience. Uh, you know, if I, if I give timeframes, people will figure out where it was. So I'll just say, you know, in my (laughs) career once upon a time. time. yeah. Yeah. Um, where I, I, what had happened was I wasn't doing something that I should be doing. Uh, and, and mm-hmm. I was overcompensating on something I didn't need to, subconsciously, yes. right? Because so, obviously that was not yeah. my intention. But what ended up happening was nobody came back and said, hey, you're walking off the cliff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it would have been an act of kindness for them to so nobody, give me a heads nobody up, Nobody tells right? me, hey,
0: you know, Tiffany, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're about to walk off the cliff mm-hmm. or pulled me aside and said, hey, look, I know you're new you know but just let me give you some feedback this is it's just not going to work here like i cool this and maybe don't do that or you know whatever it was like and and they and they just let yeah. me walk off the cliff and it wasn't one or two Ooh. or three or four or five and then it wasn't just men and it wasn't just women right so it was right yeah. and it wasn't just executives Everybody. It was, you know so it, it 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 wasn't this uh you know common type of person that let me walk off the cliff it was it yeah, was, it was everybody, everybody, right? Sounds like. And uh so my boss calls me, right? Out of the blue. Uh-huh. He goes, "Hey. Uh-huh. We have a problem." Okay?
1: What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a good moment for you. You're, you're, but but it sounds like you're open to hearing it. You know, but it's what
0: it's like. It's like Cheryl with you. Like you stand there and you're like you're just waiting. Like tell me whatever it is, so that we can I can either you know tackle it and move past it, or you know we have to deal with it, right? But ultimately, what was so surprising to me was the letting me walk off the cliff.
1: And that's, I mean, it's so such a good story that you're telling because it's so important to remember that the thing that was unkind was not telling you like that. You, you felt much worse. I'm guessing sounds like when you realized that nobody had told you, then you ever would have felt if, if right. they had so told What you. I
0: did with that lesson was cause I took it as a lesson, mm-hmm. you know, and I had to really swallow pride mm-hmm. and, you know, eat a whole lot of humble pie yeah. for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then it came back up from air, you yeah, know, after for- I had done all that. And reflected Uh uh, and picked the phone Uh and called everybody. Wow. Good for you. Right. But in that, I made a comment like, look, you got (laughs) to just tell me. And if you think I'm not receptive to hearing it, then that's something else I have to work on. Right. Because if someone feels that they can't give me that feedback, then it's equally my fault. Yeah. So it was a really fantastic lesson, but, you know, hopefully... For, the, for our listeners in hearing what Kim is saying you, you see yourself in each of those situations different in your career you know when you have a great boss I mean there's this you know obviously the famous quote and I don't know who originally said it right but people don't quit companies they kind of quit managers first yeah uh, and, and yeah. this is a perfect example of that and and also quitting not great teams so you could have a great manager but the team is just dysfunctional and toxic. Because the manager, although if
1: the team is dysfunctional and toxic, ultimately it's the manager's job to fix
0: that. Well, you started this out by saying, you know, either really a jerk or really nice. <laughs> so they're they're really nice, but because they're not a jerk or they don't know how to be a jerk, the team is dysfunctional. But it's really a nice yeah. guy or a girl, whatever, right? As a well, human or, being, or,
1: yeah, or or not so nice in the end after all. I mean, one of the most painful lessons I had in my career was when I was trying to be the nice manager and I had hired this guy, we'll call him Bob. And I loved Bob, he was smart, he was charming, he was funny, but he was doing terrible work. Everybody on the team loved him, but he was doing a terrible job. And he would hand stuff in to me and I would say, oh, Bob, you're so you're smart. So, awesome. You're so smart. Everybody loves working with you. Maybe you can make this a little better. I mean, maybe I said it a little bit better than that, but I basically didn't tell him that it wasn't nearly good enough. And I gave him the kind of praise that was the sort of feedback sandwich praise, meaningless. And 10 months go by and Everybody's having to correct his work and redo his work and cover for him. And eventually the inevitable happens. And I realize if I don't fire Bob, I am going to lose all the star performers on my team. And so I sit down to have a conversation with Bob that I frankly should have begun 10 months previously. And when I finished explaining to him where things stand, he sort of pushes the chair back from the table. He looks me right in the eye and he says, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And as that question is going around in my head with no good answer, he says to me, "Why didn't anyone tell me? I thought you all cared about me." Right. And I had been trying to be nice, and I realized I've actually, without meaning to, been cruel to Bob, absolutely cruel. And it was too late to save Bob at this point. Even he agreed at this point he should go. And so now I realize I have failed as a manager in six really important ways and because i have failed bob's getting fired for it and all i could do in that moment was make myself a really solemn promise i would never make that mistake again
0: yeah it's it's almost like the conversation i had with liz weiserman who's i've had on the this uh podcast as well around kind of this accidental diminisher right you accidentally did it you didn't sort of do that on purpose that was not an intentional act but this, you know, this, I think the message for me and what you're saying is, is that we really, words are very powerful both ways and silence yes. is equally powerful. Yes. And, you know, and yes. in this time where everyone is now, I'm not going to say everybody, and this is the only time, but, uh, I think people are more aware of finding their voice in mm-hmm. whatever that means, uh, mm-hmm. And we have five generations working, which is the first time that has happened. And you have a millennial generation that thinks they can say anything. And of course, I'm way over categorizing and making it very general. So for all the millennials listening, it may not be you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It probably isn't. And then you have, you know, those that have been in the workforce a long time that are just like, you know, they just don't want to be working anymore. Once again, yeah. making huge sweeping statements. Uh but ultimately we have to figure out how do we communicate cross generationally with, you know, different generations communicate very differently. Uh yes. you know, and and especially now. I talk a lot about this in this kind of 140 characters, 280 characters, like these bursts of information and email has no emotion and tweets
1: have no emotion and everything can be taken out of context. And so. Except, except that they have so much emotion. I mean, they almost have, and I think the reason why email and tweets have so much emotion and elicit so much more emotion than uh in-person conversation or even a a phone conversation is because in a in a back and forth conversation you can correct and you you can say something and you can see that the other person is hurt by what you've said yes. and you'll course correct a little bit whereas you don't get that online totally agree and so i i think you know,
0: somebody gave me some advice when email started to become the prevalent communication force that, you know, and I would send those emails and then go, can I get that back? You know? Yeah. <laughs> that probably was a career limiting move. Can I get that back? And then Outlook like came out with that recall message <laughs> tool. Yeah. I was like, thank God. But never really worked. <laughs> never really worked. But, you know, mentally you felt like you always had this back door. Now I will, if I write one of those emails, like I will either like write it and then walk away or sit on it for a while, come back to it, you know, at some point in time later that same day. And I will soften it a little bit because I'm out of that heat of whatever it was I wanted to say, or I actually hit delete.
1: Yeah. Or you pick up the phone or you get up and you walk down to the other person and you have an in-person conversation. It's so, Uh, So important, I think, in addition to soliciting feedback, it's also important to give it, but much more important than, than trying to find the perfect words for giving feedback is to be open to gauging how it's landing. Because radical candor gets measured not at your mouth, but at the other person's ear. And you don't know what's happening at the other person's ear if you're not paying attention to their response to what you've said. And so I think one of the problems with a lot of feedback training is it it's almost like it teaches you if you can just say the perfect words, then you won't hurt the other person's feelings. And that's just total BS. Like sometimes you'll say it so well and so kindly and the other person is still going to be upset. <laughs> and it's like there's it's it's so we're, do you we're human that saying, no matter
0: how I say this, you're going to be upset. So let's just rip the Band-Aid off and get it going. <laughs> well,
1: well the, <laughs> The point is, no, the point is you don't know. Maybe they'll be upset. Maybe they won't be upset. So so I think what you do is you start out and you say you say it gently. You say it as gently as possible and then you note their response. And if the person is doing to you what I did to my boss and just kind of giving you some sort of brush off, if they're not hearing it, then you've got to go a little further out on the challenge directly dimension of radical candor. And you've got to say it a little bit more clearly, and it might even feel harsh to you. But if the person is immediately upset, then before you move further out on challenge directly, you've got to take a moment to attend to the emotions in the room and to move up on care personally. And and this is true of both praise and criticism, Radical candor is not all about criticism. It's it's more important to show people what success looks like than to show them what their mistakes look like. And praise is your best bet for showing people what success looks like. But you've got to do it in a way that you that you are taking the time to make sure you understand how they're hearing you. Because everybody understands you differently. It's, it's, radical candor is kind of universally human. It's about love and truth. Uh, there are there are some people who think love and truth are not important, but most of us think those are important attributes. Uh, but but the way that other the way that other people interpret what you say is going to differ. If you're talking to me, you're going to have to kind of go further out on challenge directly than if you're talking to my sister, who's maybe a better listener than yeah. I am.
0: But that's a really good point, like making sure you know the audience
1: because
0: it changes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also making sure you know the audience that day. If you're talking to me when I'm hungry, it's very different than talking to me when I'm well-fed. So, and you don't know whether I'm hungry or well-fed when you start talking to me. So you've got to pay attention to the other person's response. And it's also true culturally. Radical candor sounds very different in Tokyo than it does oh, in Tel Aviv. Yes. They're, <laughs> they're both radical candor, but they're going to sound very different. And who says it? Yes. Yes. If you, yeah, if you are in a position of authority, you've got to be a lot more careful. I'll never forget when I was, I had I started managing a, a relatively big team and, but it was real pretty early in my career. And one of the HR people I worked with came up and said, you're intimidating to people. And I said, ah, uh, I am five feet tall. I'm blonde. I'm Southern. I've spent my whole life trying to be taken seriously. I am not intimidating. And she said, well, you're in a different role now. Why don't you go in and tell your team to do something that's impossible and see if anyone pushes back? I was like, of course they'll push back. But I did it. And she was right nobody pushed back. It was a real big lesson.
0: And I think this, you know, the that's a great way to wrap this up because I can tell you at least in my career that the more self-aware I became, yes, the more open I was to change.
1: Yes. So self-awareness but also relational awareness. So you can be aware that you have all the best intentions in the world, but unless you can also be aware of how the people around you experience you, then your self-awareness doesn't do much good. So you've got to be both self-aware and relationally aware. Yeah,
0: well, this has just been, I wish we had like another hour because, you know, I, I love this stuff <laughs> that's sort of personal yet challenging because, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that within any big pivot, professionally or personally, there has to come change. And that personal change yes. is so hard. And and as I said, it, a lot of it comes from the self-awareness uh, but you know, I, I've had, uh, which I know, you know, Tom Peters and having, I've had Tom on and he, he's so much about listening, like managing by walking around and really listening to your people. And I think for anyone who is uh, listening into what's next, you know, what, what would be the sort of, you know, Monday morning, Monday morning advice, very quick, sort of, if you can do these Regardless of where you are, you may say, "Hey, look! Is it, if this is your first or second job, and you're early in your career, here's what I recommend. If you're in the middle of your career, here's what I recommend. You know, if you're in the sunset of your career, <laughs> here's what I recommend." Yes.
1: What would you say? I, I would say that no matter where you are in your life, in your career, the first thing you should start doing, if if you like these ideas, is solicit feedback. Ask that question. What can I do? And ask it in your own words. Don't use my words. But what can I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? The second thing to do is take a moment to give voice to the things you appreciate about working with others. It's actually much easier to sound smart when you're criticizing others than when you're praising them. And I think in part for that reason, we don't give enough praise. So Take a moment to think about the things you really appreciate about your employees, your colleagues, your boss, and and give voice to them. Say them. So praise is really important. And finally, if something is bugging you in a relationship, say it and say it soon. The longer you wait, the more it's going to pile up and it's going to it's going to go critical and blow up like a dirty bomb all over your relationship. So, uh, so so say it and then adjust you it may you you don't have to say it perfectly but you can fix it you can you can explain to the person that you the reason you're saying this is that you care about them you care about the relationship you care about the success of the endeavor that you're that you're collaborating on
0: well all fantastic advice kim this has been such a pleasure having you on the what's next podcast i'd love to make sure that everybody who's listening who wants to continue to follow you and your work how they best can find you so what would be uh, the best way to do that.
1: At candor is a, a great way. And our, our website is radicalcandor.com. Well, that's easy.
0: Easy enough. Well, Kim, thank you so much. And and for everybody listening, please go out and pick up Radical Candor. I just think it's a fantastic book. And and really, I think Kim needs to be on the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list one more time. because. Think, From your mouth to God's I think, ears. We I think we were actually on the list the same week, which I was only on it one week. Yes. One week. I was on it one week, but <laughs> I'll take it and and I was on there with you. So I'm I'm completely honored to have you join me today. It was a
1: huge honor. I love I love your work. Love this podcast. Love your books. So thank you so much. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that
0: conversation with Kim Scott as much as I did. It even ran a little long and I could have kept going, but we try to keep this short and sweet so that you can enjoy it on your drive to work or on the treadmill, wherever it might be in a quick burst in between your busy days. So I thought it was so fantastic to hear this one quote, that giving feedback is, it's not mean, it's clear. And what a great example she gave between herself and Cheryl Sandberg at a really pivotal time in her career, but more importantly, just seeing the leadership style of somebody who's so well-known and how they've worked to lift up those around them. I thought it was a fantastic story, but I hope you take a little piece of advice that Kim shared on what and how you can be not only a better giver of feedback, both positive and negative, but also a receiver of it. And make sure you take a moment today, at least once, thank somebody and recognize what they do to give them praise for all that they bring Uh, to work every day or to your life or to your business life every day. So I hope you had as much of a great time as I did. Please subscribe to the What's Next podcast, leave some feedback, tell your friends about it, and I'll look forward to having you join me again next time. Thanks again. Have a great day.